Uh, so episode 52, Brock, Brock says country music is racist. Is racist? Anybody, who's, anybody who has a pickup truck is a racist. I got a pickup truck. I got a truck in the back. You know what I mean. Every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Rock and Pep are back with you for the first time in a little while. It's been a couple weeks. Uh, obviously, uh, sports are not on right now. We're dealing with COVID and um, social distancing, social isolation, quarantining if you're around other people. And uh, sports is just kind of starting to poke its nose out a little bit. But I'm joined by my co-host, Pep Cariotti from his living room. How you doing, Pep? <laughs> I am very good. Thank you for asking. And uh, uh, I hope things are going well with you over in the Fleming household. I know we haven't been able to really see much of each other because of all this, uh, all the pandemic stuff that we've been living through. And uh, we're trying to do our best to stay, follow the rules and be safe. Well, that's it. Uh, but over the next little while, I would uh, really like to start getting back at least into the same uh room or same area i have a very long mic cable i got a headphone extender so i can keep you at a safe distance while we do this but uh, we got to start getting together again because uh, it's it's been a little long yeah um for those who don't know this episode is going to be brought to you by the crazy horse in ottawa and the central beer house (laughs) and those guys fed me and uh i don't know Filled me full of booze, I guess, today. Went and got uh, supported local. Know a couple of people who own those places, and uh, uh, I tried a variety of things, one including a spicy peanut butter burger, which I've raved about with you for the last 10 minutes, uh, although I'm about to do uh, uh, take a nap on a couch because I'm so stuffed. It's disgusting. <laughs> I think I saw the images on your Facebook page. Uh, it looked like five delicious platters. Oh, you did uh, do the counting, eh? Was I it like five? The, yeah, it was five. But yeah, if, yeah. You, if you count five and then you're like, well, how many people live in that house? You're like, well, there's only well, there, four. There's, uh, there's that, four. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> where's that other fifth go? Uh, yeah. And I'm wondering why I can't see my toes half the time. Hey. Yeah, good stuff. I've, I've eaten at the, cra- it's the Crazy Horse, right? The the Crazy Horse. Crazy, the one in yep. Market Square or whatever they call it in Canada. That is correct. Yes. The yes. Only, very good yes. place. My friend Kevin Gagno works there in the evening. As the head of security, he's uh, also on my men's basketball team. No, he's not. Kevin Gagno, yeah. He, we're on the same team. You know how many times Kevin has asked me to go play basketball on his team, to be part of his team? <laughs> yeah, well, the in the, in the league we play in, I'm, I'm not sure if I've... Yeah, I'm sure I've mentioned this to you. It's, a, it's an over-40 league, and uh, not that you would not make it but we actually have tryouts every year because there's only six teams and 10 players per team and the two league commissioners keep it that way so you basically it the only way you can play is if guys drop out um get sick god forbid they get sick or or injured and then you sort of get it you you get called up essentially so it's a fun league you'd you'd like it actually what's that sorry i'm what i'm 41 i'll be 42 so 
you know, maybe in the last couple of years, he hasn't asked since I've been over 40. But since, I mean, well, Kevin and I go way back. We used to play ball together and then coach together and work a crazy horse together and take cash at the door together. I'm the only <laughs> one that got fired for it, thanks to uh, one gentleman who was still upset about having to grease me to get into the back door of Marshy's during a uh, Sens playoff game because I didn't respect that he owned a bar. I could care less. He gave me 40 bucks. You know how it works. Get in. Um, anyway, yeah, Kevin, uh, I love Kevin. I haven't seen him in forever. Great, great dude. Shout out to Kevin Gagne. So I, I didn't, I played against him for a couple of years this year. I was lucky enough to be on his team. He's, there's some strong guys in, in the league. There actually, there's some really great former, uh, university basketball, uh, basketball players in the league, uh, from across the country, really, really, really good talent. But all in all, I'd have to say Kevin's probably the strongest guy pound for pound. He's not the tallest guy, but he's he's a, he's our, one of our big men. He's by far the strongest. He, you can't budge him. Mm-hmm. And I know he played uh, he played pro football. He played over in Europe too. But he's he's as strong as an ox. Yeah, he's got a great cup ring with the uh, 04 Argos. I think he was on the yes. practice roster at that point. But he uh, he's got it nonetheless. He's got a Vanier cup ring because he was with Ottawa the year before I got there too. Um, yeah, he's nice not guy. And as tall as I am, but his reach is probably just as long as mine. He's got really, really long arms. We used to have a lot of fun going against each other one-on-ones in, uh, in practice. And, um, you know, he was one guy that, that, uh, you know, we enjoyed the, com- the competitive nature and, and we both got better because of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, great hands. Really good hands. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is the Kevin Gagno episode. Uh, we'll see if he listens. If he does, uh, hit me up, Kevin. It's been a long time. Awesome. All right. Um, what else did you yeah. do lately? Well, let me say, uh, you know, Brock, I uh, went. I went to. Uh, for, well, first of all, I should. I'd be remiss without if we didn't acknowledge the fact that today is the seventy fifth anniversary of D Day, right? Uh, where you know, uh, Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy and uh, really, you know, saved the world. I mean, there's no other way to put it. That battle on those beaches um, saved the world from uh, the German occupation. So. Uh, thousands lost their lives, Canadian, American, French, English, um, to have our freedoms. I know it's not Remembrance Day. I feel like I'm talking about something on Remembrance Day, but really uh, hard to forget. And, uh, you know, I I am glued to the television set whenever I see any stories about World War II, specifically like, you know, these fights on the the beaches of Normandy. And, I mean, it was, it's terrifying. They let the boat, the boats basically went up to shore and our, our brave uh, soldiers would just jump out of the boat, and a lot of them got killed uh, instantly. Right. Um, they, but they risked their lives for that second wave of, of people to come in and, uh, and and take the fight to the Germans. So, anyway, a wild stuff. So I commemorate them, and uh, you know, I was at a, I was at the Ottawa protest yesterday, and our show is really all about uh, racism and racism in sport. But, uh, to get her going, I was at the Ottawa protest yesterday, uh, March, I should say. And, um, what can I say? Uh, I didn't take physical part in it because there were so many people on the streets and I was worried about the, the physical distancing. And so I, I was on the sidelines, quote unquote, uh, just sort of, I lined the sidewalks. There was a big gap between the sidewalk and the street. And, uh, you know, it, the energy was, powerful but it was also positive there weren't any hooligans you know there there wasn't a lot of trashing of police um, services on the street uh, actually the police were very helpful they were guiding people along the line 
telling them where to go. There usually with these protests, there's like a game plan. You go from here, and then at, at, during this time, you go from here, and then you follow here. Well, people didn't really know what was going on, but the police actually helped out. So it was nice to see, and just a, just a lot of energy, and uh, you could feel the seriousness of the situation in the crowd. Like it was really powerful stuff. And when the when the chance started, people really got into it, and you could feel their their anger and frustration that we're still dealing with racism in this day and age. We're still dealing with racism as a social issue. And, you know, who's to blame? I don't know. It's generations of bigotry, generations of, of uh, behaviors that are taught by our parents and, our, and their parents. And, you know, at some point, a generation has to break the cycle. You know, I we can talk about leaders and Trump and this and that and the other, but you know, at some point, parents have to grab the bull by the horns and, and start teaching our kids right from wrong. So it was a really, uh, what found, I found the most interesting about the protests is the age of the, of the people who actually went. It could have been, it was like mainly 20 to, 20 to 30. Okay. And there were about 20,000 people who attended. So it was really, it, you know, it, it uh, gave me hope for the future that, you know, our future is in pretty good hands with people who are not afraid to demand change. So it was an inter, very interesting uh, experience for me. I, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a protest goer. I don't, whenever there's a protest, I'm not the first one there. I thought this one was rather important. So I made a point of it to actually just physically be there and, and witness it, uh, it history essentially, but. It was really great, which leads us into sort of what we're talking about today. And really, the topic of the day, anywhere you turn, is racism. And we're going to focus on racism in sports and specifically how pro athletes, whether it's NFL, NBA, MLB, hockey, soccer, any sport around the world, really, how they're reacting to the senseless murder of George Floyd. And it's really, there's no other way to describe it. It was a murder. It wasn't an arrest gone bad. It was a, a, a renegade cop who just didn't know when to say when, and he killed somebody. For, and I always use the, the, I always use the analogy of the worst case scenario. Let's say he did forge a $20 bill. Let's say it was a fake 20 or whatever it is. Is it worth taking the man's life? Right. So here we are. I think uh, one of the biggest topics over the last couple of days has been uh, the situation with Drew Brees. And, uh, an apology that he made for something that he stood by. You know, some people are wondering whether he's backtracking, just trying to make uh, make safe face. So I think we have some information on that. You can take that from here, B. I know you have a couple of clips, but, you know, we want to talk about Drew, Drew Brees and his situation right now. Um, you know, his back and forth with the president. There's been some stuff that's been said between the two of them. So, well, I don't know. What, what's your take? What do you got to play for us? Well, I'll play his uh, original quote that was obviously sparking – um, some backlash from a variety of people, including some of his teammates here. I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together we can all do better and then we are all part of the solution. So that's his original quote. Um, that was on, uh, he was being interviewed. I can't remember by whom, but, um, you know, the way that was taken was that 
he was talking about uh, black players taking a knee during the anthem. So a Colin Kaepernick type thing. And guys like Malcolm Jenkins, one of his teammates, uh, you know, came out and he did a, an Instagram post. There was a video and it was uh, essentially uh, talking about the, la- the his loss of respect for Drew Brees. And it culminated with him basically saying, look, you got to know when to shut the fuck up. Like this isn't, you should not be saying these things. Now, in fairness to Drew Brees, like I never taken Drew Brees as being somebody who had any sort of malicious intent. Um, you know, I know he comes from, you know, uh, his father and grandfather both fought and whatever. And there's, I get the respect the flag thing, but I also I I didn't I never took Colin Kaepernick as being taking a knee to disrespect the flag and disrespect what the flag stood for. So that was my issue with it was just, again, it came back to what I found people were using or trying to explain Kaepernick's actions um, as being anti-flag, anti-America, anti-veterans, anti-war heroes, and that wasn't the case. But people would, would ride on that, and they'd say, okay, well, he's just, just disrespecting the flag, and don't protest the flag, and don't do it during my game and stuff. I'm like, everybody's missing the point as to what he's protesting. And I think that's kind of what was happening with Drew Brees' comment too. Yeah, no, he doesn't want anybody disrespecting the flag, and this, yeah, I get it, but I don't think he's associating Kaepernick's knee with disrespecting the flag. That being said, you know, he did apologize very quickly, and he actually, you know, like you said, had some interaction between him and, and uh, President Trump, along with, I'm sure he talked to Malcolm Jenkins and some of his teammates um, who had spoke up. And he actually apologized twice. Uh, one was like a, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't have spoken at things. We had to listen more. Um, and then there was one that was uh, directed right at President Trump from an Instagram post. Um and whatever, give me a second, I'll read this. It's uh, to Donald Trump, and uh, it was Drew Brees. Through my ongoing conversation with friends, teammates, and leaders in the black community, I realize this is not an issue about the American flag. It has never been. We can no longer use the flag to turn people away or distract them from the real issue that face our black communities, which again is the point I'm making. We did this back in 2017, and regretfully, I brought it back with my comments this week. We must stop talking about the flag and shift our attention to the real issues of systematic racial injustice, economic oppression, police brutality, and judicial and prison reform. We are at a critical junction. We are at a critical junction in our nation's history. If not now, then when? We as white community need to listen and learn from the pain and suffering of our black communities. We must acknowledge the problems, identify the solutions, and then put this into action. The black community cannot do it alone. This will require all of us. Now, that was his response, and I I don't know what Trump had said to him initially or where that came from, but again... It was from a tweet. It was from a Trump tweet that said, uh, I'm disappointed that Drew Brees uh, stood down on his original comment, uh, he just went on to say a couple of things, and then at the very end, in in bold cap letters, he wrote, "No kneeling, respect the flag." So it was a it was response to a tweet directed okay. to Drew Brees. Well, I mean, okay, from how does this make you feel about Drew Brees? Does it change anything? Does it? 
nothing, nothing. It hasn't changed my my perspective on him, even when he said that original quote. And he, he said that twice. He said it back in 2017. I believe the clip that you just played was an interview from uh, Yahoo Sports uh, recently. Um, so, you know, my my issue, my topic, no, sorry, my opinion on the on kneeling. I, I'm I'm no, I'm neither for it or against it. It if it's sending a message in a peaceful way, peaceful protest, I'm for it. Um, if you don't want to and you want to stand and respect the flag but not disrespect anybody else who's protesting, I'm for that too. So it didn't bother me because Drew Brees, over the course of his career, has been a pretty stand-up guy. Right. And he's done a lot for his community. And I knew, I knew right away, when, the minute I heard that he had said this and you know the backlash from Malcolm Jenkins and players across the league just ripping him, I knew right away he was going to apologize. And I, did, I knew right away he wasn't going to waste any time. He wasn't going to let a week go by and have some calculated uh, response. Although, you know, having listened to you just read that, it did sound a little calculated, but that's okay. You know, it's okay, it's okay to, be, to be wrong and to say, hey, listen, I think I made a boo-boo. This is how I feel about our flag, but I, I respect your, your cause and I'm with you. I'm with my brothers. That's cool. Yeah, What's I wrong with that? totally agree. Um, he didn't waste any time apologizing, which I think is great. Yes, I agree with you as well that the response seems a little, um, I don't want to say rehearsed, but um, calculated, like you said, is, is an actor, accurate description of, of what I feel his, his response was. And I think that was because of him reaching out and getting clarification from these people that he loves and respects in terms of teammates and brothers from football who are black, who he probably, you know, he knew that he was getting this backlash, but that wasn't his true feelings, you know, and he just expressed them wrong or it came out wrong. So I think he seeks some guidance to say, look, I want to make sure that what I actually feel or what I actually believe in is coming across properly how do I make sure that it doesn't? I don't put my foot in my mouth again and, and say something wrong or, or have it interpreted differently. And I think he probably had some help to make sure that he was saying the right things that the black community wouldn't lose it on. Um, but ultimately, I'm, I'm the same as you. I think I never would have thought Drew Brees as being somebody who was um, uh, racist by any no, means. No, definitely um, no. And I think that you know he didn't sit on it. He didn't anything. He I. From what I understand, he seeked and, and reached out to people and, and, you know, was truly sorry about what that comment came out as. And uh, I think it was also, again, he addressed it in this comment of the whole, you know, it's not about the kneeling during the anthem is not about a disrespect to the flag. And I think that's the biggest thing that is lost. And I think the people who want to make it about that are the people who are trying to change the focus from what it is. And that's he addressed exactly that. It. And that's, that's Trump. Yeah. And, I'll, you know, we need to look no further than, you know, up in Buffalo, they've got a, a young first-round draft pick, a young rookie quarterback who tweeted uh, maybe a year or two ago. I don't remember the exact date of the tweet, but... He wrote something to the effect of uh, if we want to uh, prevent guns from falling in the hands of uh, the wrong people, quote unquote, he was referring to black people. He said, just make the guns so expensive, only the white privileged guys can afford to buy them. This was Jake Fromm. Uh, refresh my memory where he played college ball. <laughs> Georgia, those little Georgia, Georgia. bastards. Well, I, I, I mean, he's apologized, but this is the type of thing 
that we've been dealing with for years in not only sport, but just in, in locker room banter, right? Talk amongst the boys. That kind of garbage needs to end. And it's not funny. Like, it's not funny. Like, I don't, I personally don't find it funny. So why bother even, even representing yourself like that? So, but that's a kid who maybe heard that joke from his dad or his uncle or his cousin and knows no different. Right. And if you watch uh, QB1 on Netflix, the first season is Jake Fromm, um, Martell, uh, Martell, the kid that was at, uh, went to Ohio State, then he left. He's at Miami now. Tate Martell. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, anyway, those are the two main ones. There's a couple others that you would know. Uh, but you look at them and they follow them through high school. And so Tate Martell's at uh, Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. Like, you know, he's whining to his parents about he wants to get this, uh, you know, Dodge Charger. They're at the lot. They're like, oh, I want the car. And from, again, they're, they are privileged white people. Let's call it as it is. That's exactly what it is. So that's, that's what they're born in. That's what they're bred in. That's what they're taught. That's what they're... Um, uh, that echoes the sentiment of everybody they surround themselves with for the most part. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. just where they come from as well. I'm again, when I say just where they come from, that's why that's not why he did it. But I also wonder if that's why maybe he dropped uh, a lot further than I thought in that NBA, in that uh, NFL draft as well. Maybe stupidity um, in terms of his social media accounts were partly some cause for concern. Um, but Anyway, so we have the Drew Brees. You know, obviously, since then, uh, I don't know if you, I have the Goodell uh, comment. So there was a uh, a commercial, or I don't know if it was a commercial. It was during it was in social media anyway. But it was a bunch of of the high the highest uh, all stars from the NFL who are black. So like uh, Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr. And again, the list goes on. Uh, but they're all sort of speaking this. Um, written out text, you know, where they just kind of take clips from everybody and put it yeah. all together, um, and asking for a change. And they they're they're saying we are the NFL, which is right. Like they are the NFL. The NFL needs to do something. And then Roger Goodell, uh, who makes thirty some million dollars a year, um, does a video from his basement that uh, looks like he's in a trailer somewhere, like. Put some money in your basement, bro. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Trump's comment, which I thought was probably a good step. But anyway, here. It has been a difficult time for our country, in particular, black people in our country. First, my condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all the families who have endured police brutality. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence 
inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening. I am listening. And I will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family. All right. So that's Roger Goodell with his fake wood paneling in the back um, <laughs> and crappy internet connection. That's his connection, not my connection. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's saying everything that needed to be said, whatever it was, two years ago, three years ago. 2017. Yeah. Yep. When Kaepernick is kneeling and the players are kneeling and the owners are giving pressure and Trump is saying his pushing different agendas, whatever, that's what a Goodell needed to come out and say then. And that's what's disappointing. And the NFL is, I want to say, notoriously late to the party. But it's like they won't do anything until they're forced to do it. And that's where I think players and fans are starting to realize that they have more power in terms of how the NFL reacts based on what they do. So if the players stand together with the fans and the fans are, are staying away from games or whatever, putting that pressure on it, then the NFL will react accordingly. But just like the, you know, stuff like Ray Rice, you know, it's there's no video surfacing. Okay, we're not going to do a lot. Now, oh, there's a video thing. Now we're going to react. Well, they should have reacted that way initially, that kind of stuff. They're always late to that party, and I think now the players and fans are starting to realize that we can affect the NFL and change it for the better. So hopefully that will that trend will continue. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, agree, I certainly agree with you in the fact that uh, Roger Goodell was late to the party. Uh, I'd like to I try to see the positive in it. It's hard to, but I try to see the positive – in his statement and the positive is that it's a it's a start it's a start it's a foundation for sure that he laid today by admitting that hey our league is 80 percent african-american without those players we don't have a league like point final you know that was pretty impressive and poignant but but he waited this is like the third he waited for the third wave of comments to go to flow through before he decided to talk and this is where i think the nba is a step ahead when it comes to this these types of situations these types of uh um social uh injustices they're quick to comment they're quick to to leave press releases and they're quick they're not shy to voice their true honest brutal opinion on these types of things and uh, you know I, there's out of the out of the 31 nba teams or 30 nba teams sorry i'd have to look that up only one nba team sorry two nba teams did not uh release uh, a statement one is the spurs but coach popovich released a statement almost instantaneous after george uh, after the yep. floyd but Popovich represents the San Antonio Spurs. I don't even know who the GM is in San Antonio. That's how big Popovich is there. So, and he released a very strong statement. And he's still and he's still talking to this day. So that leaves one pathetic, useless, cowardly franchise in the NBA. If I ever get my hands on Jimmy Dolan, the New York Knicks are a fucking sham, and it's a joke. It's sad because the league is better when the Knicks are good. It is disgusting what he's done to that franchise over the last 20 years. They went from a, a model franchise with you know Pat Riley as their coach and Patrick Ewing and all those great teams in the 90s and 80s and 
even 70s with Wes Unseld and, uh, sorry, not Wes Unseld, Willis Reed. I mean, we're talking about a sad, pathetic franchise with an owner that's alienating guys like Charles Oakley and Spike Lee, guys who've been to every game for the last, uh, I don't know, 20 years. And he didn't release a statement. And all he said was, it's not our place to talk about this. That's the problem. Dude, dude, it's not that it's not your place, but have have some sympathy for the Floyd family. You have a former NBA player who is this guy's best friend in Steven Jackson. At least show support to the family, to Steven Jackson, to people who knew him, by saying we condemn racism. But by not releasing any statement is just a fucking pathetic it's cowardly, and I hated the Knicks before, and now I completely despise the Knicks. And the Knicks are a sham. That's why they'll never get guys like Masai Ujiri. They'll never get the top-end coaches. They'll never get the top-end players because people know this kind of bullshit goes on in New York, and uh, it's disgusting. And we should probably take a break because I'm about to smash this bottle over my head. But uh, why don't we go to a quick break, and uh, when we come back, I want to hear your take on um, a couple of guys from the NBA. All right, sounds good. One, two, three, four, five, six, two, eight. And we are back. Uh, we're talking racism in sports. Not necessarily actual racism in sports, but how these uh, sports leagues are reacting to the senseless murder of George Floyd. Um, Among others. seeing some footage earlier today of uh, policemen in Buffalo pushing over an elderly white protester who I th- what appears to be handing one of the police officers back a helmet that was on the ground. And uh, he gets pushed to the ground by one of the uh, police officers, hits his head on the uh, cement, and his ear starts to bleed, and he's unconscious. And uh, apparently he's 75 years old. He's in critical condition in the hospital. And uh, these riot police just sort of walked by him, um, the two that pushed him to the ground are suspended. And because of their suspension, 50 of the, these cops' colleagues decided to, to protest and, resi- and unofficially resign. Um, it, if you watch the footage, it's disgusting. I mean, it's they just pushed down this old guy, essentially. So, you know, some of the crap we're seeing, some of the fallout we're seeing, we're seeing some true colors from some of these police officers. Again, it's not all police. I'm not generalizing. I know some fantastic Ottawa police um, but you know, uh, there's no room to have bad cops. <laughs> there, there really isn't. You can have a lazy employee in your government office. That's fine. Not everybody's perfect, but there's, re- there's really no room to have bad cops. And I think the system is broken. They should, there should be more power to be able to fire these guys quickly or more quick, not these paid suspensions, not these paid leaves where you send a cop back home for six months with a full salary so he can go on vacation. And then come back and really learn no lessons. So uh, that footage was really disturbing. But anyway, I've gotten off track. I want to ask you, Brock, um, of course, some NBA players. The NBA, I I really think, is a step ahead when it comes to dealing with racism and uh, being advocates for social justice. Um, One gentleman, of course, uh, your your favorite, the GOAT, uh, Michael Jordan is donating over the next seven to eight years $100 million dollars. Um, towards uh, you know anti-racism uh, funding, uh, whether that's education, learning, or just uh, you know community outreach. Um, Is Michael Jordan I, I really we, shy? I uh, sorry, I missed that. Would you consider Michael Jordan to be uh, shy? You, you know, 
no, I think he doesn't talk often. I mean, right. a lot of so, stuff has happened over the course of the last 10, 15 years, and you don't hear from him. So for him to come out and actually address this, you know, like once... Did he address like it? Has he addressed it? Yes, he, he released an official statement condemning it, and just he's disgusted, and he's like, you know, this has to end. This is I've, I've seen it throughout my entire career, and this is like the, sort of the last straw. But by him, uh, you know, committing this amount of money over the course of the next 10 years to social justice causes... Uh, I think is a step in the right direction. He's a, he's a pretty prominent voice. Uh, so when he talks, people listen because he doesn't usually talk. I mean, we saw him on the last dance. He doesn't do that kind of stuff. He doesn't do interviews. He doesn't, he's not out there. And in fact, I criticized him for really not being a voice for a lot of these things. Uh, you and I talked, uh, uh, we were talking about an episode of the last dance and, you know, I had said, look, I'm not a fan of Jordan because he, I think he could do more for the community with his, with his power. So here we are, <laughs> you know, who knew George Floyd was going to die the way he did? And, uh, you know, Jordan is stepping up to the plate financially as also using his influence. So, you know, uh, what do you think? Is he is he capitalizing on a situation or is he or is he genuine? And I, you know, my in my stance, he's, he's very genuine because he doesn't talk about this normally. But what do you think? I haven't heard his quote then, I guess. I've, I saw that he was donating $100 million. And to me... I mean, he the guy's worth billions. So giving a hundred million dollars is is all nice, but you talk about the influence he has and the reach he has, and people listen to what he says. Um, I think that his words and and speaking up in different platforms would probably be worth a lot more than a hundred million dollars in the long run. So when you know, I hear the hundred million dollars, I just that's why I'm asking. I didn't hear him say anything. I didn't see any coverage of him speaking to people. Um, you know, uh, so the hundred million dollars was kind of, to me felt like uh, here's a hundred million dollars. I'm doing my part. I don't have to speak anything or whatever. It's just money. You know what I mean? Like there's, it just felt like a bit of a cop out. And I I expect more from somebody who has that kind of influence. Everybody loves no. him. Most people love him. You know. He should be speaking. I, I agree. And, you know, the this was on a Facebook page is where I saw this article. And, of course, a lot of the comments were exactly what you just said. Like, what's $100 million over the course of 10 years for a guy who's, you know, $100 million is like uh, an, an half, a, half a year's salary. So I, I understand what you're saying. He did release an official statement on behalf of himself and the Hornets uh, on May 31st. So this was, you know... It was actually pretty quick. Shortly after, and I'll just—I won't read the whole thing, but uh, you know, it starts by saying he starts by saying, "I'm deeply saddened, uh, truly pained, and plain angry. I see and feel everyone's pain, outrage, and frustration. I stand with those who are calling out the ingrained racism and violence towards people of color in our country. We have had enough. I don't have the answers, but our collective voices show strength and in the inability to divide by others." We must listen to each other, show compassion, empathy, and never turn our backs on senseless brutality. I mean, that's that's pretty strong stuff. And that was, you know, again, it was shortly after the uh, the incident. So, you know, I mean, that's kudos great. to him. Yeah, kudos to whoever wrote that and put his name <laughs> on it. You know what I mean? Again, this is the kind of stuff that irritates me with them. Um, and that's why I love Charles Barkley and Shaq. Like, those guys, like, they speak their mind. They, they get it out there. They're not hesitating in what any sense of the word. Um, they're opinionated and will get out there and stand up for what they believe in. And I find that Michael Jordan doesn't do that. For a guy Are you suggesting who, that he didn't write that? I'm suggesting that maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I'm also suggesting that 
in today's day and age, like the youth that is out there, who's sitting down and reading a Michael Jordan statement? Nobody. <laughs> They're looking for the, he could have done that himself on a 20 second clip on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and had reached hundreds of millions of people within hours. But he wrote a statement that's going to be filed under nobody gives a shit. You gave $100 million. That's fantastic. That's peanuts for for you. And, you know, I mean, I just, I feel like it's a cop-out. Again, you know me. I'm not a huge Michael Jordan fan anyway, but I always, like, that was another thing that irritated with me, uh, irritated me with him throughout his career was that kind of stuff. Because you, you, you see guys like, you know, again, I don't use Muhammad Ali. He's, he's on another level sort of thing. But, yeah. You know, Charles Barkley was the same where he would, he just speaks it and he, he was real and authentic. And it's just, you can, you can, I don't know, attach to that and, and grasp on that. And Michael Jordan, it was very specific in terms of basketball. But other than that, there's just, there's bigger things. And they made Michael Jordan bigger than life and bigger than the game of basketball, but he never did anything bigger. And I get it. It's a lot of pressure, but you know, now he's older. He wants to speak up about everything else in terms of basketball's career and doing his opinion. Like this is a major thing. You're going to donate a hundred million dollars. You can't use your platform to say, you know what, even I'll read my damn statement, you know, have somebody write it for you, then read it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's an association there and there's, I just feel like there's a duty for him and he's, he's not living up to it. I respect that. I um, I respectfully disagree. Only only because well, not I haven't. I don't disagree with the fact that he hasn't really shown his face for the last twenty years. And this last dance was very opportunistic with the very, pandemic and knowing very. that everybody's watching TV. I get all that. Um, but I I have heard Jordan talk in the past, and he's very articulate. He's very calculated. Uh, you know, they've caught him in interviews, post game, pre game, without a chance to really think about it. And I, he he's very eloquent when he talks. So. I could see that being something he had written, um, but that's the nature of who he is. I think better to post something or, or make a statement than not. And certainly it was shortly after it was, I mean, we're talking Goodell released his yesterday. So, I mean, that's eight days ago. Jordan had the, had the guts and the NBA as a whole had the guts to address it right away. So, I'm going to give him props on that only because it's in this situation, it's really hard for me to like, criticize anybody who's donating any kind of money yeah which i get but i hear what you're saying in terms of his the potential is there to to reach more people like you said a youtube a youtube clip or a instagram statement like kareem did i'm not sure if you saw kareem but kareem was one of the first kareem abdul jabbar Mm. one of the arguably the goat and then there's a there's a case to be made for definitely um he's a social social justice advocate and he's very quick to post videos of himself authentic and in the moment. And I get exactly what you're saying. I don't know if Jordan is that guy. I think Jordan likes to, to stay under the radar and not get too much attention put on him. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But like you said, there's Muhammad Ali. There's uh, guys like like Kareem. Social justice advocates who, who just, it comes naturally for them. Um, but I hear yeah. totally what you're saying. Uh, I was curious to know your opinion because I did, like I said, in that thread, I did read a lot of this, a similar, similar opinions. Hey, that's great that he's talking and a hundred million, but what's a hundred million? I mean, what, what is the money? What, what are social justice funding anyway? What is that anyway? Like, I don't even know what that is. So right. it'd be nice if they put a, 
if they explained exactly where this money is going. Like, what is a social justice cause, and why does it need money? Is it teaching? Is it material? Is it manpower? Is it like a police training? Like, I, I don't know what that money. What, right. they, what does that mean even? So, is it just giving money to poor to the poor, you know, and and teaching them? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, um, from that perspective, it would have been nice to for him to clarify what the hell he's even doing. Yeah, you, you know, I'm sure that's not the uh, uh, the only time anything this is that's happened in that kind of sense where people are like, oh, I'm donating fifty million dollars to the, um, you know, whatever fund, and it ends up being their own fund or something it doesn't even exist, and they're like, oh, yeah. it's just a publicity thing. Who knows? Again, I'm not saying that's what it is, but yeah, tell us what it is. You know, okay, you made your. Anyway, I think he could be doing more. The hundred million dollars is great, provided it's going somewhere relevant. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see, uh, I think it, voices speak louder than money at this point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some guys have addressed it. Evander Kane is another guy who's addressed, you know, right now we've talked about black athletes that have been speaking up. Obviously they're going to speak up. This is, this is near and dear to their heart. This is what they're faced with. These are the challenges they're facing with and they're screaming for help. Drew Brees is a guy who, you know, has since spoken in the same direction. Um, and other guys are, they're tweeting and they're putting messages and stuff, but I think it's time we start hearing more people speak up. And uh, again, early on in this, Evander Kane uh, was on a, a TV show and he was talking and basically called out a couple of players and the importance of, of having white prominent players speak up and join that fight. That's the point. You know, we need we need so many more athletes that don't look like me speaking out about this, having the same amount of outrage that I have inside and and, and using that to voice their opinion, to voice their frustration, because that's the only way it's going to change. We've been outraged for hundreds of years and, and, and nothing's changed. Uh, you know, it's time for guys like, you know, Tom Brady and Sidney Crosby and and, and those type of figures to speak up about what is right and, and, and clearly in this case, what is unbelievably wrong because that's the only way we're going to actually create that unified anger to create that necessary change, especially when you talk about systematic racism. I thought, I thought it was well said. I also think that he wasn't calling out specifically Tom Brady, Sidney Crosby saying like you two got to do something, but he's basically calling the, the top two white players from either league. Tom Brady's like the biggest draw right now in the NFL in terms of, of uh, quarterback status. Sidney Crosby is still arguably the best player in the NHL, um, has been for a long time. Sidney Crosby is a guy I love, but Sidney Crosby is a guy that, much like Michael Jordan, I, I find doesn't um, doesn't speak up as much as he probably should be, if that makes sense. I don't know if you find the same thing, but Evander Kane's calling him out and saying, like, we need to have these guys on board um, to, to actually make a change, especially he's in the hockey world. So, yeah, you know, he's very much outnumbered in terms of a black white ratio in the NHL. And, um, you know, he's looking for some help. You know, I, ah, it's a tough, that's a tough situation. And, and a lot like Jordan, I don't know what Crosby does off the ice. 
I know he's heavily involved in youth hockey and and uh, a lot like Carey Price. Carey Price, you really don't hear much from him off off the ice, he, but he does so much for the community, for the Aboriginal community, in fact. And you know, um, Crosby might be doing more stuff behind the scenes. Some of these guys just aren't comfortable in front of a microphone, you know, or, or making official statements because, but they have their own beliefs, you know. So, in is part of their obligation as a superstar as a recognizable figure to have to address these things we don't know i don't know if it's contractual or not but maybe he just doesn't like being on on uh in the spotlight i don't know if crosby made an official statement or not i, th- I think he did. i feel like he did but if he did or he didn't um did his team you know i'm sure crosby probably feels very strongly about this topic having played in the in the Quebec Major Junior League where racism is rampant. And I remember watching the Hall Olympics, and we have a friend, a mutual friend, Peter Worrell. Mm-hmm. I remember his own fans berating him Throwing about how he can't skate and backwards fans. and how he's this and that. He's just a big – I mean, some of the stuff I heard in the stands broke my heart for the guy, and he's as, he's a gentle giant. He's one of the nicest guys. But I can imagine what he heard playing in some of these uh, – Eastern Quebec cities, oh, and yeah. uh, I mean, it's atrocious. George Lorac says it was aw- some of the some nights it was awful. Like he just it was just terrible, and so you know, and racism racism still exists in these leagues. So I mean, uh, surely uh, Crosby's been witness to it, having played with the uh, uh, Halifax. No, Oceanic. Yeah, the Ramuski. Yeah. So, you know, my take on, on these superstars voicing an opinion, I mean, they have to, all, they're also human and they have to be comfortable with it because these are, you could, if you say the wrong thing, look what, look what could happen. You know, you could have the president of the, fr- and a leader of the free world rip you to shreds. So it, it's, it's a touchy, touchy subject. I'm an advocate of like playing it safe and just unifying people. Uh, when I say play it safe, I mean, you make sure when you make a statement that you don't offend anybody or ignite, uh, or, you know, just build anger in people's, people's minds because they think you have an opinion that divides them. So it's tough. I mean, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, well, and hockey players, you know, Canadians, they're generally a little bit more uh, subdued and stuff too when you start talking about our superstars and, and hockey players in general are generally more so, um, again, a little bit calmer and not as spotlight-driven. Uh, the ones who are are generally the guys who are trying to play a certain role and, and get attention and, and try and increase their value that way but guys like a Crosby and you think you know you're talking Steve Eiserman and guys that you know are uh, the young captains the leaders uh, Connor McDavid you know what I mean like these are yeah guys that they just don't um, they're not looking for that spotlight they're not they're not they just don't talk a lot anyway so you're you're you know 100% right uh, Carey Price I know does a lot with the Aboriginal community you know that's obviously part of his heritage um, which you know, a quick transition, I guess, from a, a Canadian standpoint. Um, some people think that it's not, um, I guess, from a, a black-white standpoint, is not as bad. Or people make comments that Canada doesn't have that same um, divide. But in Canada, there's a <laughs> lot in terms of from the Aboriginal community and what 
we've been facing with them. So we can't ignore that group. Like this, this whole idea of the, not even idea, I don't want to say it as, as that, but this whole uh, light of racism and the inequalities that, that encompass the world, wherever you are in Canada, we have a lot in terms of Aboriginal as well. And we need to not overlook that. And because of things like that, this is brought up. Uh, one of our CFL teams, the Edmonton Eskimos, has been asked to change their name. Uh, we've had local football teams change their name. That were the the Nepean Redskins or now the Nepean Eagles. Um, what's your take on these team names? The Edmonton Eskimos, Atlanta Braves, Cleveland Indians, Washington Redskins, Kansas City Chiefs, Blackhawks. Um, you know, I know my Colgate alma mater. They were we were the Colgate Red Raiders. And since I graduated, uh, it was a few years after, they dropped the red. So it's just the Colgate Raiders now. They, you know, uh, saw that it was wrong and made that change. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, a bunch of Aboriginal racist type team names that are out there that are still out there. And Mm -hmm. this is bringing some of those to light in terms of pressure to change that. What Mm -hmm. are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think about uh, some of the youth hockey team here in Ottawa, the Nepean Raiders. Yep. I mean, their logo is uh, uh, looks a little bit like the Blackhawks, maybe not quite the Blackhawks, but kind of has that. Yeah, that Black Jackson's Hawk in that good. league. Yeah, my son's so the, in that league. Yeah, so they're changing all the logos in the next couple of years, and that's a lot of money, right? They were talking. They've already know, started how- to, so it looks like a, a real shitty Nebraska Cornhuskers in. Which I am not. Oh, I've seen that. For, okay, but uh, yeah, but, you know, started to change it, it. If it offends one group, then we'll just just do just just do it. Uh, like I don't under you know I me personally not being uh, uh, indigenous, I, I don't see. I'm uh, like I I see the Redskins as a uh, like the, I'll use the Redskins as a as an example because it's probably the most the hottest topic in terms of uh, name changes. I see the Redskins as a as a group of warriors, and I don't know how what how to how what that perception is. Like I, I don't see it as a racist emblem. I don't see it as I see it as the history of a of a people. Like you know, I'm sure if we date back 200 years to my culture, there's probably images of warriors and whatever whatever stuff they wore back then. I mean, for lack of a better term. So I I don't see it as offensive. But if someone does see it offensive, it's just a friggin' name. You know, just change the name. It's Red Washington Warriors. Like, you know, I it's it's not that big a deal. You know, there's a little bit of history with the Atlanta Braves and the Kansas City Chiefs and this and that and the other. But this is like a name, Redskin, I think is offensive to some people. And it's a logo that that could be offensive as well. So just change it. You know, uh, you might be able to make a uh, make a, a case for the Chiefs because it's a, it's a spearhead. And a chief is a chief. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a chief of my whatever. Who play at but, Arrowhead Stadium and have, uh, uh, I think, don't they still do the do They, they do still the do the chop. I mean, you can change that stuff. It just takes one season of culture change to change some of those habits. So, I mean, I, I'm not that. I used to be a little a little petty about that. I'd be like, nah, I don't change it. It's history. It's called. Then I realized just a name. It's just a name. Just, and those sports, those teams are always looking, hey, we got a fourth jersey, a fifth jersey, a sixth jersey. Cause we want to make money. Here's an idea. Yeah. We're changing our whole fucking name. So everybody's got to buy a new jersey, a new hat, a new whatever. Oh, 
Hey, it pays for itself. Dude, and Washington Redskins, I mean, they've had the same uniform. I don't, they've never changed their uniform. They've had a couple of, like, third jerseys and yellow pants, but it, they've had the same helmet, same uh, black, um, white and burgundy jerseys for since I've known them, since they've existed. Well, okay, You're from a Washington a yeah, but from a Washington standpoint, my point of selling a whole bunch of gear, selling two jerseys to the three guys that go to the friggin' stadium every year <laughs> is probably not an advantage. But well, <laughs> the other one too, I'll ask you real quick is there's there's three, the Florida State Seminoles. Ooh, I should have had a boo thing going. <laughs> uh, the Central Michigan Chippewas and the Utah Utes. All three of these are named after Native American tribes indigenous to their regions, but they've all received official permission from those tribes to keep that name. Does that change anything for you? Not, not really. I mean, they have the support. Again, it's a term, it, it, whether it's a term of endearment or representing a people, even though you're not Chippewa. I mean, for me, it, as long as you have the support of the people, it's a cool name. It's a football team. Uh, it represents uh, a, a team sport. It doesn't bother me, but if it bothers people, then you change it. Apparently, well, that's what I'm saying. So what if it bothers somebody who's not? You know, it's it bothers. Uh, now, my my favorite saying is it bothers Karen because all the memes are about a Karen <laughs> and the videos about this Karen. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I can't stand it. nobody. Whoever names their kid Karen moving forward is like putting through hell. But <laughs> let's say a group of Karens are upset that the Florida State Seminoles, you know, have that name and have that logo, yet they as a group have got permission from the actual Seminoles to keep that name. Do they still change it? If they're not indigenous and they're just offended, then go away. You don't even have a horse in the race. If they are indigenous and they're offended, they can approach the group of indigenous who, who gave the okay, who signed off on the name, and they can have a discussion. If they can't come to a resolution, you change the fucking name. That's, I mean, it's... All right, noted. Doesn't that make... I mean, what do I know? That makes sense to me. It's it's logical. Yeah. I, you know what? Like Whatever. I can't argue it. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Seminoles, they still have that guy on the horse that runs in and spears it down like... <laughs> anyway, that that chant can go away. I'm down with that chant leaving. But uh, anyway, um, Brock, there's there's one thing we did. I'm not, we haven't gotten to it yet, and we're running out of time here. But I just wanted to mention you you had the clip of uh, the Fox Sports or sorry Fox News reporter. Uh, I know we're kind of backtracking here, but you know when we look back at what Drew Brees said, and then the Fox response, yeah, is like, hey, he has a, he this he has a right to say what he wants to say, and you know, and the he's an athlete, he has a but, and then we had this Fox reporter commenting on LeBron James and it was a Durant and James and and KD, I guess, yeah. So yeah, Laura Ingraham of Fox News. Uh, I just want to fucking. Oh, uh, it was it's it's brutal, but Stupid it was face. just again, it was an example of you know how the, the differences in this these are two predominant like black all-star athletes from one sport this isn't a football basketball thing either but these two guys that are black on one side expressing yeah. their opinion and then a white guy from another sport expressing his opinion and this is how she did it so that it's two uh. clips but uh here uh, I'm gonna smash this it's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid a hundred million dollars a year to bounce a ball. Oh, and LeBron and Kevin, 
You're great players, but no one voted for you. Millions elected Trump to be their coach. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. Well, he's allowed to have his view about what kneeling and the flag means to him. I mean, he's a person. He has some worth, I would imagine. I mean, this is beyond football, though. This is totalitarian, totalitarian conduct. This mm -hmm. is Stalinist. And by the way, on the streets of New Orleans, we're looking at live pictures. They're yep. shouting F Drew Brees. Wow. That's what, that's that's what this moment has done to the beautiful team this spirit is, of the New Orleans This Saints. is a great, he's a great Christian man. He's <laughs> okay. That's the clip. So those are two separate hey. clips. She's addressing LeBron and KD initially and telling him essentially shut up and dribble. You get paid to play basketball. We don't want to hear you. Breeze is a human being who has some worth. And like, are you kidding me right now? Well, this it's just a crock of shit. And I got to tell you, fucking horrible. The, fo the Fox, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to get political. I'm, I am, I, I tried for months years in fact to grab onto anything positive anything positive from the united states uh president try i'm doing my best to just try to grab anything positive and i i have nothing i have nothing maybe the economy is strong i don't i don't even know i can't talk on that and i don't want to talk politics but i i cannot defend this guy anymore he is the dumbest public speaker I have ever seen on any platform. Forget just pre presidents and prime ministers. Like, he's the dumbest guy I've ever heard speak. And I'm done supporting him. Or, actually, I never supported him. But I'm done uh, just trying to play devil's advocate whenever he talks. I'm done. That's it. He uh, He's lost me for good. And I am going to be his biggest critic from now on. Because I, I just can't stand him. He's such a divider. And he's not even a narcissist because narcissists are intelligent. So he, I can't even call him that. And he started all this. This is his doing when it comes to athletes and their reactions by the way he handled the Colin Kaepernick situation. His comments about Colin Kaepernick have blackballed him from the NFL. And if you ask me, Colin Kaepernick deserves a shit ton of money in reparations, my friend, because what he did then is what people are doing now. And he lost his job because of it. Yeah. Hey. I, uh, I agree, bud. Uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, does Kellen Kaepernick get another shot in the NFL? He should. I mean, he should, but does he? Look, uh, I, I don't think so because teams are set now. They've drafted. They've set. They've signed players. They in the barring injury, maybe. But so no, I'm going to say no, barring an injury. And it upsets me because my team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who claim to be, you know, ahead of the curve when it comes to, you know, hiring minorities and the Rooney rule. They instigated the Rooney rule where you have to interview uh, minority coaches, at least two of them or one of them or whatever the case is. They've hired a minority coach, which is awesome. Yet they don't have the guts. They don't have the, the balls to, to sign Colin Kaepernick as a backup quarterback. And they're going to go with Mason Rudolph and Delvin Hodges. You telling me Colin Kaepernick isn't better than both those guys combined when your arch rival in the same fucking division have Lamar Jackson and, and Robert Griffin? If Lamar Jackson goes down, Griffin comes in and yeah, they might lose a little bit, but it's a, it's a it's a quality caliber 
backup. You telling me Kaepernick couldn't do the same thing for Pittsburgh last year? They were 8-8. Eight and eight. They missed the playoffs by a half a game. You telling yeah. me he couldn't have won one of those games for them? No, 100%. It's a fucking joke. And I look, I'm not a huge Kaepernick fan as a football player, but he's a decent he's a decent quarterback. He's better than half the shit that's on the team these teams rosters right now. Uh, if he I think I think if he wants to, I think I think somebody's going to give him a shot or an opportunity. And if it's the right fit, um then I think we may see it, but I, I part of me thinks that uh, that he would just not bother. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's made his point. In fact, like he's proven his point clearly that there was, there has, there are issues. There, they still exist. People are still dying, and now the rest of the world is caught up with them. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't think he comes back, and, and I think it's more of a. A personal choice at that point for yeah. him. Uh, sorry, we we played the shut up and dribble clip, and I I didn't, you know, I didn't address the fact that LeBron James and Kevin Durant handled that like pros. They didn't they didn't attack yep. this person. They just sort of let it slide and said, you know, this is some dummy on a on a white privilege channel making a comment about us. I mean, Fox News is a joke, and Fox News actually, eighty percent of Fox News anchors are turning on the president. They are they are releasing statements and and Trump is tweeting about how Fox is is going downhill and this and that. Look, buddy, they're the only media outlet you got. If I were you, I'd start kissing some ass again because that's all you got. Everybody else is just like, get this clown out of here. So, you know, we need to see some more leadership out of our leaders. And uh, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, uh, it, politics is trickling down into sports now, and I never thought I'd see it. I thought we'd just always be able to separate the two, but no, we, we can't when we have a leader who just says so stupid fucking dumb shit that, uh, pardon my language, I just, um, he frustrates me now. And I, I, have, I, I know people who I love dearly and respect who support uh, Mr. Trump. Mm -hmm. Maybe not him per se, but um, the political party. Um, so I don't want, I, nothing, my, my view on those people does, does not change. I still love you. I still care for you. We have separate different political views, but my view on Trump himself is uh, I am no longer going to uh, try to find silver linings. I'm done. There. There you have it. Pep is done. Now, you do say he's, you know, our leader. He's not our leader. Um, our leader was, you know, again, he has his own faults, uh, but, you know, he was out at the march. Uh, he actually took a kneel. He was kneeling with everybody um, to show his support. So, uh, hopefully that speaks a bit more volumes from a, a leadership standpoint. But uh, anyway, regardless, we're getting now. So with that aside, there's going to be some changes. I, you know, they've already talked about, you know, Trump. And uh, I've seen those memes where it talks about uh, all the states that he won in and what, by what the margin was. And the, the message was that, oh, you know, Trump won by 200,000 votes in this state. But in that same state, there was over half a million African-Americans who didn't go vote. And basically, the, the, just like Killer Mike said, I don't have his quote, but he uh, from Atlanta, and he had a great speech. And he was like, look, we're not, it's the rioting and looting. We don't need that. If you care about your city, go home. But we need to organize and mobilize. And if you don't like something or like someone, then change it, which involves voting. You got to get out and vote and make that friggin' change. 
And that's where I think the emphasis is moving towards. So this next election is going to be very interesting. And I think that, uh, you know, with this kind of support, I think we're going to see some more and more changes. So anyway, I'm curious to see how that's going to go. But um, from our standpoint, you know, I, I, I was encouraged to see Trudeau out there and participating and kneeling and showing his support. And I thought the protests in Ottawa went well, um, was fairly, was very peaceful from what I got, uh, obviously from you and from other people. Um, so it was, uh, it was definitely encouraging. That being and look, said, uh, I just want to make one more <clears throat> comment on that. If for those of you who are pulling the old, uh, well, you know, he, he did the blackface and, uh, he, he's a hypocrite. It's 20 years ago. He was half his age. Uh, at the time, Blackface was popular on SNL and some other comedy channels. It wasn't something that was meant to be offensive. He's apologized. He was a kid. He wasn't the pres uh, Prime Minister of Canada. Um, again, I'm not defending it by any means, but 20 years ago was a long time ago. And the way we viewed the world, what was socially acceptable then, is not socially acceptable now. To pull that up, I mean, he didn't kill or rape anybody. Um, he was at a Halloween party in poor taste. So grow up um, 20 fucking years ago. <laughs> All right. I don't love the guy myself, but I don't hate him either. And he's leading us through a very tough time. So that's my final statement on that. I know I've gotten a little, way too political. I'm sorry. I promise our listeners I will not get this political in the future. This was, this was the episode to do it. You got it. Yeah. Um, now, from a, a sports standpoint, these protests – other than the obvious, um, is going to be a great measuring stick moving mm -hmm. forward. Within the next two or three weeks, we're going to know a real good uh, idea of the COVID-19 situation and where that's going because these are tens to hundreds of thousands of people who are gathering in close proximity, um, yes. contact with each other in major cities across the North America. And if in the next two weeks there's a huge spike in COVID uh, cases, then we're in for a long haul. This is like the Groundhog yeah. Day. Do we does, do we see our shadow or not? Are we going to see a huge uh -huh. spike? If we are, we're in for another six months of, of hell at least. If not, and it's manageable still, and we've had all these people in contact, then I think that might fast track getting back into um, – you know, fans, uh, us from an amateur sports standpoint, get us back into rinks and on softball fields and baseball fields and football fields and getting back outside to enjoy those things. Um, so I'm very interested in the next couple of weeks to see how that turns out. Uh, from a sports standpoint, we'll touch on on the next episode, but uh, NHL, MLB, and NBA have all sort of come with proposals and, and or solidified what they're going to be doing from 2020 and how they're going to conduct their, uh, their shortened seasons. Uh, so we'll discuss that. Uh, tonight is a UFC 250. Um, so without getting too far into, I was going to address the John Jones and, uh, Jorge, uh, Masvidal leaving the UFC because they're, they're upset. They're not getting paid enough. And the UFC keeps telling them that the, uh, oh, without the fans and stuff, we don't have a lot of money yet. They're buying fight Island. Like they're, yeah, they're, yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah. stupidity in yeah. terms of like what you're paying, you're, you're shortchanging. But that being said, there is a UFC 250 tonight. And the headliner is Amanda Nunez, uh, title belt or, uh, defense against Felicia Spencer, who's a Canadian out of Montreal. So she's going for the title tonight. I'm dying to see that thing. But then I also realized that the pay-per-view is still 70 bucks, 
And does UFC not know that we're social distancing, so I can't have six other people over to watch it with me and split the cost? <laughs> Come on. Put it down lower, well, and we'll all buy it. But at 70 right. bucks, I'm going to watch it on YouTube the next morning, unfortunately. Or build a fan base that uh, that wouldn't normally watch it and give, allow it for free for a couple of UFCs. The UFC the was so good at that for a long time. When they, Every yeah. time they had, like, a, oh, there's a big boxing match on when they first started, they yeah. would put, like, a real good UFC card that was free to basically try and get all those boxing fans to be watching UFC. Now you have nothing. Smart business. We're all at home. Let's let's watch it. Let's show it's something smart. like just play it for people to watch. But you're going to get 70 bucks? Sorry, I can't do it. Jackson and Savina are going to be in bed and Ange doesn't give a shit. So I'm not paying <laughs> 70 bucks to see it as much as I hope to see uh Spencer do well. Um other than that, um I think that's all I had for you. I do have, because you have a recent love of country music. Whoa, whoa, love's a strong word. It is a strong word. And so I, I queued up a song um, because it's just a fun country song that I thought, you know, might get people moving. Um, as we're talking about race, though, too, there's something about country music that it makes it feel racist to me. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, <laughs> from a, you're like, oh, you're going to talk about race yeah. and what we got to do, and you're going to play a country song? Hey, Again, not generalizing that all country. Off, you know, what yeah, are you do? country music is not racist. Is not what I'm no. saying. But, <laughs> but there's that. If if I said describe me a racist driving down the street, you're gonna be like, oh, he's in a pickup truck. He's listening to country music and he's got a shotgun on the back and whatever. Like that's just the persona. <laughs> anyway, it's bad timing, but we're going out to it anyway. I don't care. Well, not that I don't care. I do care. I just have no other alternative at this point. <laughs> Press the button. Please, for the love of God, can we end this episode? All right, Sam Hunt. Your call has been forwarded. Oh, that's not it. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Stay safe, Ottawa. Uh, We love you guys. We miss you guys. I'm I'm out of practice. You're on the couch, blowing up my phone. You don't want to come out, but you don't want to be alone. It don't take but two to have a little soiree. If you're in the mood, sit tight right where you are, babe. Because I'll be at your door in 10 minutes. Whatever you got on, girl, stay in it. You ain't got to leave the house to have a good time. I'm going to bring the good time home to you. We'll have a house.